the 63rd episode of the game podcast i'm your host jerry thompson here with me is brian gottlieb the deranged hermit what the hell deranged hermit because you have blessed my mailbox with a a horde of squirrels yet again Um, yeah you you mailed out some of the unstable squirrels which i had not gotten my hands on yet i'm super happy to have them along with some other goodies okay i thought i thought you were just gonna be like oh he gave me cards to proxy on that's great no, no, dude, these are going to be decorations in my office, without a doubt. I will hang them all around the office. Very cool squirrels that I get to, uh, you know, see over like a deranged hermit at this point. Excellent. Plus, I have to ask about this other gift you included. You sent me a foil profane procession. Is this like an olive branch to maybe say profane procession is a little bit better than you thought it was when we did our initial Rivals review? Okay, so I want to say it's not, but... I was talking to Josh Cho last night about Standard, and he's been playing like a bunch of Standard. I just had a bunch of decks built on my account, and he's just like, ooh, this looks fun, this looks fun. And he just, I don't know, he played like 10 leagues or something over the course of like the last three days. And one of the decks that he was working on was just the various like black-green ramp decks I had built on the account. And one of the conclusions I came to after talking to him about the mono-red matchup is just like, you know, you can deal with the early stuff, but then... Going into the mid to late game, you need to deal with all their big stuff. And it's like, oh, man, what like what could we do? Because we can't just like answer everything one for one. Like maybe you can just jam like Carnage Tyrant or something and like race them. And it's like, uh, no, crap. Maybe it is just Profane Procession. I don't know. I think it is. I mean, that, that was like my plan against Mono Red in the White Black deck. And it was very effective. Profane Procession is a great card. I won. I'm declaring myself the winner of the Rivals of Ixalan Top 10 show. No, no olive branch. I, I may play with that card in a tournament at some point, but I, I'm not excited about paying eight mana to kill my first creature. I will say that that card has been showing up and you called it and I opened a foil one and I was just like, yeah, whatever. I don't want this. Like Brian might. Yeah, it's a treasured part of my collection now. I was, I was very happy to have it. Um, also, I got a nice Merit Lage token, which will be uh, hopefully coming into play on my behalf a lot this next weekend as I go to the SCG Legacy Open out in Worcester. Nice. So I was I was excited for my package. A lot of good stuff in there. Awesome. And you got some of your tokens from England too. So some of my tokens, which came out amazing. Oh, did you get the pin? I did get the pin. I, I was getting to that. Also, a very flashy trash panda pin, which will certainly adorn my playmat this weekend. Nice. Yeah. I, I mean, I already have the Squirrel Dealer playmat, which I special ordered. I feel like the trash panda pin will go... Just perfectly with that. You can tell I'm a real serious player, right? As I put a pin on my play mat and uh, have have unstable cards adorning their art, adorning my stuff. That that's the mark of a, a top tier pro, right? Uh I don't know, man. I, I think it it all comes full circle. You know, you start out liking for me it was like Thorn Elemental and Ebon Dragon and stuff, and now I am just like full circle where I'm just like, I don't care. Like I yeah, I would love a Ebon Dragon playmat or whatever. Like that would be rad right you just like embrace your kind of like inner scrub right you remember how the game used to appeal to you and i still i will never forget like the feeling i have of opening my first magic cards and just looking over these amazing looking you know pieces of like fantasy art which appealed to everything i was into at the time and i embrace that now man it's awesome that's why i love magic for for all the aspects of it not just the competitive side so word Oh, dude, I want a Nether Spirit play, man. Holy crap. Oh, that's a cool one. I feel like that exists, too. I feel like maybe I've seen that before. I'm Googling this. I just, I have to know. <laughs> There's no way this cast can continue until you are able to figure out if the Nether Spirit play mat exists. And the verdict is? It's not looking good. Uh, uh, I'm sure you get one custom made, right? Likely, but I mean, okay, so the... The copyright stuff is like only if you're trying to make money off it, right? So it's like I can do it with the image and not have to pay royalties to the artist or whatever. That is my understanding of the situation. Not like I'm a lawyer or anything, but my brief reading of the the policy that came out is that as long as you're not making profit from it, they're okay with you kind of utilizing their artwork. Dude, I don't know. Like my my happiness is like a large profit to my life. That's true. Right, so. Well, you know, I'll I'll let wizards lawyers come after you for <laughs> for having too much how, happiness in your life. How dare you get happy off of our product? <laughs> anyway, yeah, man, I was just like, 
over over time, like I haven't purchased a single unstable booster or anything, but like there were some drafts happening around me. People were leaving like stacks of cards on the table and stuff. And I'm just like, yo, can I steal your squirrels? And <laughs> they're just like, uh, yeah, sure. Whatever, weirdo. And, <laughs> you know, and then it was like I was doing some pie gal. I opened that profane procession. And then I was at Hot Topic and I saw the trash panda pin. And then you asked for the 2020. And I'm just like, yeah, it's time. It's time to send Brian a little care package. Yeah, this is this is amazing work. I'm going to tell a quick story on the topic of of hoarding squirrels. This is completely unrelated to anything magic related, but since we're on squirrel topic, I have to share it. A few years ago, I bought my wife a really nice camera because she really enjoyed taking pictures with her iPhone and, you know, just a way to document all of our travels all over the place. So I got her a nice digital camera, and the other day she was showing me pictures on her digital camera, and they were pictures of squirrels, completely unsurprisingly. And I look <laughs> in the top right like the index counter of how many pictures were on the camera. And there was 5,700 pictures. Damn. And, and I asked her how many of those pictures were of squirrels. And with a completely straight face, she said, absolutely all of them. So she, <laughs> she has on her camera over 5,000 pictures of squirrels. And I realized like that's kind of insane, but to me it's incredibly endearing because she'll tell you full stories about every single one of those pictures. Um, oh, what squirrel awesome. it is, what kind of relationships they have with the other squirrels. So just kind of an insane story, but it, it related here and I, I wanted someone to share it and I found it very endearing. So Yeah, that's great. Okay, should, should we talk about magic? Maybe, I don't know. It's <laughs> probably a magic for, podcast. Yeah. Uh, so... Last weekend, I was at the Hunter Burton Memorial Open. That was a modern tournament. It was super rad. I'm just going to touch on it very briefly. Uh, I don't have the top eight deck list. I know that Jess Guy something or other won, but that's about it. There was a lot of Tron, some humans, but basically like a lot of diversity. Bloodbraid Elf looked a lot better than Jace, to no surprise. I played Mardu and did poorly. Part of that was because I was catching up with an old friend in round two and got a game loss because we were both late. Yeah, and then just did some commentary and hung out and everything, but it was definitely a really, really cool event uh, in like the Dallas, Texas area. Um, I'm just going to go every year, basically. I saw some video that you posted or, or shared someone else's video of it online. Uh, it looked like a really positive environment, definitely playing for a great cause. And I, I think, you know, something to be really proud of, a really nice memorial tournament to remember someone who the Magic community lost and, and certainly for a good cause as well. So I don't want to make any promises. I would love if I could add it to my schedule too. You know, it's certainly a uh, topic that's close to my heart, a cause close to my heart. So maybe it'll just be uh, an official game podcast event every year going forward. That would be cool. Yeah, that would be sweet. Uh, I, I did meet a lot of listeners of the podcast, so that was also very sweet. But yeah, the, the cause for those who don't know is uh, suicide prevention and awareness. And I mean, obviously, like we are gamers. It is a thing that affects some of us, you know, maybe maybe not like us or our friends, but like maybe friends of friends. And it's just like whenever you lose someone to something like that, it has like a profound effect on you, you know. Right. And, uh, this this situation was no different. And it was like in the wake of Hunter's death where his family and the local tournament organizers and everything like decided to actually do something about it. And this is the fifth year in a row the tournaments happened. Uh, they had around 450 players this year, which is pretty incredible, both because it is roughly double what they had last year. Uh, I guess it was uh, also on just Sunday because of like a scheduling conflict. And it was also the same weekend as GP Memphis. So it's just like all this stuff and the tournament was still that big. And next year they're talking about making it like a two day event, super awesome, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going back. I hope uh, more people join me, including you, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. Props to everyone who, uh, you know, had a part in putting together that tournament. Great work, guys. Yeah. And uh, this year was the first year they streamed it also. So very uh, nice. Yep. It's only getting bigger, better. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Modern looked about the same. I, I don't really have anything super sick to report or anything, but you know, it, it just looked like people were still experimenting, trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, I got to watch the humans opponent that I lost to in round two, just go on to like annihilate the Swiss. He finished nine and one and in top eight somewhere and humans still looked incredibly good. I believe that, uh, you know, a lot of these like linear, powerful, decks are still linear and powerful and still awesome despite the fact that these new four drops have joined the fray so your impressions is that jason blood ray didn't completely unbalance the format everything's still moving forward a lot of fun stuff going on but overall a healthy format at this stage yeah uh i saw blood Braid, 
Uh, basically be pretty poor against Athalia. I also saw Blood Braid be pretty poor against a Reflector Mage, which was kind of great. Hmm. Hmm. Just uh, the Humans player Reflector Mage just scavenging ooze. Next turn, the player's like, okay, I have four mana. I'll cast my Blood Braid, hit another scavenging ooze, and couldn't oh, cast it. What a whammy. That's awful. Yeah. Blood Braid is awesome. I, again, like... I have like 15 Jace decks at this point that I that I have to get to work on, and I think uh, March 5th is is currently what I'm looking at when I start streaming. So. That's the word on the street. Everyone's getting excited. I know uh, our our Patreon Discord talks about it on a regular basis. They can't wait for the stream to start, and we have now amassed an army of people who are going to absolutely verbally rip you apart if you aren't streaming on March 5th. So there's there's a lot of pressure on you at this point. Oh yeah, fully aware. That's good. That's all right. You know, I'm not accountable to myself. Maybe I'll be accountable to all the homies out there. Very nice. Anyway, uh, GB Memphis, standard format. Did you get to watch coverage at all? You were not there, right? I did. I watched watched a good amount of coverage, mostly focused towards the later rounds. I I didn't get to see a lot of the early rounds, but... You know, I, I think we did a fair job of kind of anticipating what was going to be going on at this tournament. Certainly, this is a little bit of a coming out party for the blue-black control deck we talked about. A couple copies in the top eight, a lot of penetration into the top 32. But yeah, I'm interested to hear your take. I mean, what was your takeaway from Memphis on the whole? Looking at the top eight list, I was just like, how the hell is Grixis Energy doing so well? Like, I don't even know who that deck is supposed to beat. And I was very happy to see two black, two blue-black controls. And where the hell are the mono-red decks? I think the deck building was very cognizant of mono-red going into this tournament. And, and you know, it, it has been for the length of this standard format. But people are starting to identify what does work and what doesn't work against the mono-red decks. The... Moment of Cravings are maxed out now. There's there's four copies of those in these blue-black decks. And, and the blue-black mid-range decks as well, getting lots of copies of Moment of Craving. I, I just feel like time, time has gotten us to the point where we understand what these matchups are about and how to hold down Hazard and Friends. And I think the players in this tournament did a very good job of that. Um, the Grixis builds, how are they winning? I still don't have an answer for you. I still think the mana is incredibly greedy. I thought of the list in the top eight, Andrew Tenjum did a nice job kind of having a more focused game plan for his deck and also not pushing the mana particularly hard, like easing off the gas a little bit and not just jamming Chandra, Gonti, Torrential Gear Hulk, uh, Veraska's Contempt, Glorybringer into the same deck, you know, that kind of nonsense that we've seen from some other deck builders. He was a little bit more measured in his approach. So that was good. I like seeing that. But you're exactly right. I'm not sure who these decks are targeting. They're just like this super powerful ball of spells that is somehow pulling out wins over and over. Yeah, I I agree with you that Tenjum's deck looks to me to be the strongest. He's the only one of the three to not play Chandra. One of them has Rekindling Phoenix also, uh, just a one of. And none of them are playing Glorybringer, which I think is noteworthy. Yeah, kind of crazy that they've, they're moving bigger, right? Like these decks have some main deck counter magic, especially Tenjum's list with two Essence Scatter, two Supreme Will is something I really like. He realizes that games have to be won before things hit the battlefield because there's only so much catch up you can do after, you know, Scarab God, Torrential Gear Hulk are beating your face in over and over. You have to deal with some things on the stack, even in game one. So he's kind of made that next step. As far as the other builds of Grixis and and what they were doing, I think Kling's inclusion of Dire Fleet Daredevil is interesting. You know, it kind of demands a lot as, as far as um, having available mana, but it's kind of a concession to the mono red decks. We talked a bunch about this card maybe being the best card against mono red in, in post-board games. Well, he's like, I need it in pre-board games. And he still yeah. gets access to the really good removal of Raska's Contempt. You know, extra copies of Raska's Contempt in Grixis Energy Mirrors, that's a big deal. More answers for the Scarab God is, is never going to be uh, something you frown on. He also carried two, co- two copies of Confiscation Coup. So he was very prepared to fight the Scarab God Wars, which I'm sure he faced throughout the weekend. Well, also the coup is just good against mono red. Right. Taking Hazarets is, is a very good play. And just like the two for one, I have a blocker now is a very nice sequence as well. So yeah, like I said, I, I think there's a bunch of deck building concessions that are starting to be made to mono red. He's got a bunch of magma sprays. You know, that was a card that was trending down in numbers. He's packing three in the main deck. So the players who found success certainly came prepared to uh, answer mono red throughout the day. Yeah, it looks like magma spray has pretty much entirely supplanted fatal push. 
And I think correctly so. I mean, we talked about the natural response to the Moto PTQ being the presence of the red splash black decks, getting things like Scrap Heap Scrounger back into the mix. But I, I think you're going to see Magma Spray combine with other removal spells a lot more going forward. You know, not you're not always going to have the Vraska's Contempt and playing Harness Lightning and Magma Spray on a Scarab God really doesn't sound that bad given what the Scarab God can do if he's unchecked and, you know, getting to come back over and over. So I do like the straight up four Magma Sprays going forward. That seems to be the correct number to me. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I did some uh, gunslinging, spellslinging, whatever you want to call it, at a local store in Dallas called Madness, Madness Games and Comics. That store's incredible, by the way. And in my playing with the, the model red deck, where I was playing the, like the, the kind of PTQ version one with the Scrap Heap Scrounger Splash. Right. And yeah, I just like Spray Over Shock against basically everything. And uh, I think like a lot of the model red decks kind of adapted a similar approach where they have like a split or like maybe they just have spray, but yeah, spray is just basically pretty incredible right now. I'm with you. seems like a, a clear addition, maybe an actual reason to be playing Grixis over, you know, straight blue, black. If, if you look at, if you go down to ninth place, we start to get to panic playing Grixis control. And I, I'm not sure. I want to check the number of, of magma sprays before I give him credit here. I don't want to, uh, incorrectly assigned credit. Yeah, he's got two Magma Sprays in his main deck. So he he recognized as well that maybe control decks need a little bit more than just the Max Vraska's Contempt to deal with all these creatures, which demand exiling right now. Yeah. There were some red aggro decks in contention. Uh, it looks like uh, John Rolf, I think, lost two winning ins, which I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what happened there. And then uh, Matt Severa, I believe, lost his winning in to Tenjum. And Severa was playing the scrappy version and Rolf was sticking with Kerry Zev. And the, the day before the tournament, he was like, hey, man, is Grasping Dunes like too awful to fight Phoenixes in the mirror? And I'm just like, no, that actually sounds kind of good. Yeah, the answer was no, it's not too awful and play, play it out well. I, I like it. it. It's, you know, kind of clunky, but there's a clear problem that you need an answer to. And this got the job done, apparently, uh, something he played throughout the weekend to some success and... I don't know. Maybe this will become standard tech going forward. I mean, it's it's got to be better than Sunscorched Desert, you know? Yeah, that's a card that I don't believe should be in the mono red decks anymore. That just seems very silly to me. Yeah, especially, I mean, Rolf is playing three scavenger grounds and has 24 land. So he's got 18 red sources, which I think is basically the minimum. Right. I was going to say the six colorless sources makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I, I think he's right at the minimum for the correct number of mountains. I would probably like to see one or two more, to be honest with you, but... Obviously, he had a plan, yeah. so. Yep, I agree. Uh, I mean, Scavenger Grounds, like, there are a lot of Scarab Gods in the top eight, so maybe it was good for him, maybe not. Uh, I was mostly just shying away from them a little bit, but there's, like, a lot of Scarab Gods here, so. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you kind of want to tell a story about individual cards this weekend, it's it's the story of the Scarab God just taking the throne. He He is the god of the format now. Hazaret has been cast to, I mean, I still call him 1A. I think he's still obviously at, at the top of, or excuse me, she, Hazaret's a she. Uh, she's still yes. towards the top of, of the pile, but uh, Scarab God took the took the crown pretty authoritatively after this event. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I mean, zero Scarab God's in the finals, and it was two aggro decks that went under the Scarab God, you know? Right, so maybe we should talk about these these final decks a little bit. Interesting stuff going on here. Not what I would have chosen to play into this tournament whatsoever. Uh, yeah, so first place is Tyler Schroeder with red-green aggro. Pretty normal-ish. Uh, Brendan DeCandio started with a Jun version that splashed Scrap Heap Scrounger. I believe Matt Tumovich tuned that to include uh, Eternalized Creatures alongside the Explore Creatures to give them a little bit of a late game. And yeah, Tyler just basically ran with that and, and crushed it. Yeah, that's a winning synergy. I can tell you from my time, you know, with the greener Sultai builds that I played a lot, uh, Branch Walker, Jade Light Ranger into the Kenras, the Kenra team here um, is, is a really winning combination. When you never miss your land drops, your eternalized guys become way better. But uh, he's certainly pushing that synergy to the absolute fullest here. Also of note, Four branch walkers in the winning list. Do you have anything to say about its inclusion in this uh, archetype? 
Uh, all I'm going to say is, yeah, obviously. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think it is funny that Branch Walker wins the, the first Grand Prix of the format, but, uh, you know, it's it's showing up, like, here and there. It was showing up more so, and I think the format has kind of, like, evolved past that a little bit. But, like, Branch Walker is certainly very, very playable, the end. Yep, totally fine card. Interesting sideboard tech, Adzokan Archer is a card in the sideboard here. I guess he's looking for effective ways to block the three power guys out of, you know, the mono red decks, the scrap heap scrounger decks, and still pinging the guy when it comes into play. I, I like that effect a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it kills a Bowmat. Yeah, yeah, or Kenra, or, and there's targets for it. It's, it's picking off things here or there and still putting that big body into play. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was a very large part of his plan against mono red and, and probably a successful part. They have a lot of one-toughness creatures between Kenra and the two one-drops. And Matt Severa even played two dual shots in his sideboard, mm. which is, I imagine, kind of for that, maybe for some of like the Adanto Vanguard decks you know, that have tokens and whatnot. But yeah, like the Archer is just completely reasonable. I agree. Not a card I had seen before in the inclusion, I, although I'll admit I'm not super into this archetype. Maybe it's just widely played and I'm not familiar with it, but it's definitely a card that caught my eye here. Yeah, it's a little out of the ordinary, but I mean, we've talked about this kind of before where there's very few green base mid-range decks or just like green decks in general, right? And especially like look over the top 32, like what is there actually? There's like an Abzan deck, a Jun deck, a Naya deck, which is effectively the red green aggro deck and Soltai Constrictor. You know, there's like five green decks in the top 32. Like they are short on cards. Right, but they met and- in the finals. <laughs> That's the crazy part of all this where like, I, I agree with you, green on the whole, is probably the weakest color in the format right now. But here are two green decks smashing against each other in the finals. So I started uh, a new column called 10 Things on Star City Premium. And one of the things that I pointed out was like, okay, here are three weird aggressive decks that have gone 5-0 in like the last week or two. And among them was Aaron Barrage with his like Bristling Hydra, Hadana's Climb, uh, Winding Constrictor deck. It, the the concept of the column is like, here are 10 things. Some of them I like, some of them I dislike, right? So it's like, you kind of have to guess where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, here are three like kind of bad looking beatdown decks. Like, I, I just assume that most people are going to think that I hate these decks. And I'm just like, no, these decks actually look really good. Like, Bristling Hydra is is still quite good. And basically, like, no one is playing it. And Adonis Climb breaks a bunch of board stalls and is super powerful and all this. And it's just like, yeah, Aaron knows how to attack, man. Like, he is just beatdown incarnate. Yeah, we touched on the Bristling Hydra head on his climb uh, on last week's show. It, it's a you know an element of standard we thought might be a little underplayed. I don't I don't know where Aaron got his deck list from, but I associate this kind of Hadana's climb Bristling Hydra deck with Jadine, who was writing about it a lot going into the last few weeks. I, I don't know if he worked with her or you know is familiar with her or just like you know that uh, parallel development type situation. But this looks a lot like the list she's been shopping over the past few weeks. Yeah. To and I think she's been playing it to a lot of success as well. So Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Aaron generally works alone though, from what okay. I know. Okay. Yeah. Like he, he basically just he builds his own decks. So I don't know if he started with her list and was just like, Oh, this is like right up my alley or what, but Right. We'll have to we'll have to do some detective work and figure it out. But uh either way, great piece of kind of format calling. You know, I appeared on First Strike last week and I was on there with Derek Pite, uh very big magic online player, and he was petitioning for the return is that that ginger misplaced ginger right yeah okay he he was petitioning for the return of the green black deck to the format and i basically thrashed him and was like look this deck's horrible i have no idea who you're trying to beat um but his point that he was trying to make and i you know kind of ran him over a little bit and i think i was wrong in retrospect was that blossoming defense is a particularly well positioned card right now which makes a ton of sense right everyone's playing Vraska's contempt four mana removal spells of course blossoming defense is absolutely awesome and i have a feeling that's where as a, lot of a the four of yeah they're playing it as a four of which is a necessity with all the red decks right so right. yeah blossoming blossoming defense does make sense it's just what are the rest of your green cards well they're the explore creatures maybe constrictor uh, you can play like this red green aggro type of deck, but I think the red green deck is more interested in just like clearing the way and like continuing to pile on threats, right? Like you don't necessarily need blossoming defense to protect your rekindling phoenix because like whatever, let your phoenix die, you're just going to replace it with another fatty. Right, right. Very, very different takes. Whereas as we've talked about a bunch, 
the green black deck is kind of mopey with a lot without a lot of these cards, specifically Winding Constrictor. So, you know, having one mana protection for your Winding Constrictors, I guess we're back to that point. And it makes a lot of sense that we would be back to that point, given the state of removal in the format. Yeah, I think Constrictor is fine as long as you are also playing it alongside a low curve with Hydra and Hadana's Climb. Like, those cards are payoffs to me. But, like, playing the the full amount of Verderous Gearhulks or whatever, is just like, I think that's fighting the wrong fight. Right. I could get on board with that. I, I think Hadana's Climb is the new gear hulk for what it's worth. That's that's your closer. That's the card that just ends games out of nowhere. Um, and it does so with brutal efficiency. I've played some games against the stack where I'm just like, okay, I've stabilized and I'm on 18 life and oh, wait, I'm dead. Like That's just the end yeah. of the game out of nowhere. Yeah, it's just another card that's like absurd with Ballista. If you have like Snake Ballista, like good God, man. Like it just gets out of control. Right, right. So yeah, I'm, I'm down with Adonis Climb. I'm down with Aaron's deck. I think maybe there were some other people in the room playing his deck or a deck similar, but like he is he's the master of this sort of deck. So it is, it is no surprise to see him do well. I'm actually kind of surprised he lost the finals. I guess I would believe him to be favored in that matchup. Um, it, it seems like it definitely pushes to his advantage. Although he is shorter on the removal spells. I, I guess he could just get run over. I didn't actually watch the finals, so I, I'm not sure how the game's played out, but it... Lacking removal, it seems like very clear that if he has to lead with a two drop, being you know uh, an unprotected constrictor, and it just gets blown up, and then he doesn't draw any removal from that point, it, you can kind of see how he could just get blown out of the game with no chance to recoup very quickly. Yeah, maybe, but like Hydra's so good, it feels like he would be able to get under his opponent. But maybe, maybe that's just the reverse. I don't know. Yeah, I, I would have to have have seen the game, so I'll I'll reserve judgment since I didn't actually see how the finals played out. You know, there is one more deck in this top eight that we have not yet spoken about, and it is Mardu freaking Vehicles. One more time, Mardu Vehicles making an appearance in a top eight, because it has to. I mean, it's just always Mar- there. Mardu life, baby. Yeah, Mardu life. Always there. You can't keep it away, regardless of- Profane procession in the sideboard. Yeah, very cool. I was excited to see that. <laughs> um, less excited about like Settle of the wreck- settle the Wreckage. I'm not really into those plans anymore, but I do like the addition of procession. I-, I think that might be the way the deck wants to go in post-war games going forward. As far as the main deck, we're seeing Rekindling Phoenix make the cut over some number of Hazarets. Yep. I'm going to reserve judgment on that without having never played it. I'm not sure exactly where that falls, but I could see it. Hazaret can be clunky in the deck. You don't always empty your... You, you certainly don't empty with the same efficiency that Mono Red does, right? Like, there's a lot of games you play with cards in your hand. Um, and to that effect, yeah. Hazaret is much worse. Yeah, any deck with unlicensed disintegration is probably not going to have the world's best like turn four Hazred attack you consistency. For sure, for sure. So maybe Rekindling Phoenix, like just maxing might be the way to go. Super powerful card is seen play absolutely everywhere at this point. Uh, the slam dunk breakout of rivals, unquestionably. I still have yet to pick up some. I was trying, I was trying to buy them to gunsling with them and just everywhere was sold out. Yeah, I think they, I mean, I didn't hear actual numbers, but from the impressions I was getting of people who were at Memphis, I think they were like a billion dollars at Memphis. Just you couldn't get rekindling phoenixes. It's impossible at this point. (laughs) God damn it. I'm screwed. (laughs) You'll never have rekindling phoenixes. Yeah, apparently not. Oh, well. Guess I'll stick to my Hazarettes in my Mardu Do deck. Yeah, Cut Ribbons is in here, which I really like. I'm super excited about. Same. I'm with you. Uh, I've been looking for a home for that card because it just seems like a lot of the decks are pretty good at like, all right, I can kind of get under them, but then they just stabilize behind a bunch of mythic rares. And like, this seems like just one of the best finishers, you know? Yeah. And it's a great removal spell too. Like as far as two mana removal spells go, it's very powerful. It sees a criminally low amount of play right now. Another card, which I'm completely unsurprised to see in large numbers in this list is Walking Ballista. I think it's a really good time for Walking Ballista. There's some more decks that are looking to go wide, you know, be they something like Sam Black's deck, uh, vampire-based aggro deck. There's like the green-white decks floating around. We already talked about the presence of the one toughness guys in mono red. I've kind of been waiting for Ballista to push its way back into the forefront of the format. And here's its spot um, shining again in Mardu vehicles as it has in the past. Yeah, and another thing we're going to talk about is the Black Blue Midrange decks. And those had a few copies of Ballista too. Just a quick, easy way to pick up some percentage points against Mono Red. 
Right, right. And one that scales well into the late game too. So kind of, it's a card that fits the mid-range style, right? Like it just, it does all the possible things. It's a blocker in the early game. It scales into a win condition in the late game and obviously scales with your mana. So it's never bad off the top of your deck. Kind of exactly what mid-range decks want, especially right now in the format. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this this Mardu deck is just incredibly well built, I think. Like having access to things like a braid cut ribbons and disintegration as your removal spells is very exciting to me because you're not constrained by things like Fatal Push and Magma Spray, which just like go dead kind of quickly. Like I, I like that Blake did not play any of these like small ball removal spells. Right. He kind of gave up on what we are talking about is maybe one of the important pillars of the format is the exile based removal. He was just like, nah, not interested. I can play different games. Post board, he gets cast out. I mean, that's, that's his piece of removal. He's going for that can exile. Um, he's got a battle at the bridge, which also can answer a hazard profane procession, obviously in the mix, settle the wreckage. So he's willing to address the exile problem in post board games. He just doesn't think it's important in the pre board games. Um, he's more willing to take the aggressive slant and win the games that way. So it, it does seem like a deck that was well thought out and, you know, entered with a very clear plan for this tournament. Yeah. And you just kind of crushed it. I mean, anytime you end up fifth seed, right? It's like, well, kind of bittersweet, but you crush the Swiss. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Settle the wreckage again. Like, like you said, I'm not a big fan of the, the blood fast out of an aggro deck is something that we don't see very often, which is kind of sweet. Yeah. I mean, just playing those, adaptable Mardu games willing to switch gears. Um, I, I'd rather see something like that to do the job, that and like Profane Procession than something like Settle the Wreckage. I think it just telegraphs so easily in these these decks, especially in post-board games. It's very clear what you're setting up. I'd look, if you want to push those elements of the deck, I'd look to push in other ways. Maybe a second copy of Profane Procession, maybe some more other Planeswalkers, an extra Chandra, an extra Angrath, which is a card I was impressed with when I played Mardu Vehicles. Um, does a really nice job against the control decks, which are now floating around the format, if you're able to get it through the counter magic, which obviously your duresses will help you with. So, you know, a bunch of other options there that I think will do a little bit more than Settle the Wreckage. Yeah, for sure. Also in this top 32 is a black-red aggro deck with Lath New Hellion. Haven't seen that card in a while. Nah. Well, haven't really seen it ever, right? Well, I, I think it showed up as a sideboard card early on in Mono Red's presence in the format, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly to what effect, but it, it was floating around the format at one point. But this guy's just like, yeah, three copies in the main deck. Matthew Lewis wanted his Hellions all, all the time. I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. It, it doesn't seem to be addressing any issues that the mono red deck has, short of just like sheer aggression. But you check that against a bunch of the other stuff in his deck, and it kind of backs away from that premise. Um, stuff like Glint Sleeve Siphoner and, you know, even to some extent, something like Aether Shear Harvester. It's not like he's playing the most aggressive style possible, but he still found room for Lathnew Hellion. Um, it'd be interesting to hear his thought process behind that inclusion. Yeah, I mean, Pia seems completely reasonable, turns on your disintegrations. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, like Lathnew Hellion being an energy maker for like siphoner like maybe you can turn it into like a four damage burn spell that also draws you a card maybe he felt like he wasn't able to close games well enough but like maybe pia would help with that too it's also pretty interesting to see a siphoner deck that's not playing aether hub yeah there's, there's some strange things going on with this deck list i don't know i i would stay away from this one for the time being but i at the same time i'm very interested in hearing matthew's reasoning behind a lot of his inclusions here maybe he's just seeing something i'm not i don't know yeah 23 land to Glorybringer. That's also like sketchy. It's a little sketchy. I don't know. I'm a big fan of any deck with Bowman Career and Glen Sleeve. Uh, yeah, the, those two guys together can get a lot done. So I, I get where you're coming from. Maybe they can cover up some weaknesses and some, and some cute cards further up the curve. The Hellion feels a little cute to me. So I'm not going to sign off on that quite yet. But nice to see it make an appearance regardless. Yeah. All right. Uh, you want to talk about Brad's deck? Yeah, so this is a deck. I'm not, I'm not going to mince words. I, I hate this deck. I, I think the <laughs> I think the blue black mid range mid range deck does nothing particularly good. I'm not sure who it's supposed to beat, what it's favored against. I think some of the card selection seems 
very strange to me. Although I will say that I like the version here much better than previous version of this deck that Brad was shopping around. Um, Walking Ballista, I believe, is an important card to shoring up a lot of matchups. I also think that Torrential Gear Hulk was something that it, it was probably Vraska at one point, and then he just got rid of the green and went to Torrential Gear Hulk. And I think that's correct as well. I, I really like that card's inclusion. On the whole, though, I'm not sure what this deck is supposed to be beating, but. Having said that, there are three copies of it in the top 32, all played by very good players, certainly. Uh, Todd, Corey, and Brad all placing in the top 32. But I, I'm a little surprised to see this deck have as much success as it did. I'm sure they came with very uh, well-crafted, well-thought-out sideboard plans and you know just a plan for the tournament in general that allowed them to find so much success because I do not find success when I play this deck. I'll just say that. Yeah. I mean, it like this. This sort of deck always feels good. It always looks good. It's like, oh, I have like answers to everything, and I have like some really good grindy elements. And then you just play it. And you just like kind of get beat up, you know. Like people go under you. You don't draw the right answer to the you know their questions, and you just have like a lot of problems. Yeah, their their sideboard has some weird stuff. Like Lost Legacy seems kind of like off the mark. Sorceress Spyglass. I'm not even sure what that's for. And yeah, they have like some pretty weak looking torrential gear hulks, like not a lot of actual things to gear hulk in the main deck besides, you know, the very obvious Vraska's Contempt. So I don't know. Uh, got your, your homie, the Chupacabra though. It does have a Singleton Chupacabra, a card that I continue to say does not belong in standard and has faded away dramatically in standard as well. Not seeing the play it was previously. But here's a copy doing his work, having a good time in the format. So bless his little heart. I, I think he'll be leaving <laughs> us soon enough. That'll be the end of Ravenous Chupacabra. As far as other takeaways on this archetype, I think before Blue Black Control cemented itself as a solid deck to be playing, you can see the theory behind playing a list like this. In the post-Blue Black Control world, I just think that like, the little decks have a fine time going under you and the big decks go over the top of you very cleanly. And to some extent, the problem of classic mid-range has gone away in the past few years of magic development. There's not as much of the, oh, I drew the wrong half of my deck type feeling that old mid-range decks routinely had just because there's a lot of ways to transition to the late game very effectively um, and and to just kind of like cards that scale throughout the game very well is kind of the new inclusion to mid-range decks and why they've increased in prominence and success in the magic world. But to me, this deck looks to have a lot of the hallmarks of, I need to draw the right parts of my deck against whatever I'm playing against. And it's kind of using champion of wits as glue, which I like a lot. I think champion of wits yeah. is still an underplayed card in this format, an incredibly powerful card. And I, I applaud the usage of it here to kind of meld everything together and to fix the exact problem I'm talking about. But on the whole, I'm skeptical of this deck. I think probably some some good players with some unique sideboard plans were able to uh, get some success out of it, but it's not going to be the deck for me going forward. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, if I want to play a deck like this where I'm just like, well, I'm good against a lot of things, probably kind of bad against Mono Red, I would just play Blue Black Control. Yeah. One thing to note is uh, there's not a lot of consigned to Oblivions, but there are a lot of commit to memories. Yeah, and I think that was actually a really great adaptation and one that we didn't talk about last week when we were kind of bouncing around blue black control list and, and a card that never actually made its way into my list but watching it throughout the weekend it was an incredibly impressive card uh in a bunch of matchups the glaring thing it does is an on the stack answer to carnage tyrant which is a huge problem card for blue black control mm, yeah and I really like its inclusion there. And I think that's why you see additional copies in a lot of these sideboards. Um, I don't, I think Efro had his two copies in the main deck, if I recall correctly. I'm checking. Yeah, that. both both him and Heath Vance had two main. Two main. And it doesn't surprise me that they're the guys that found success because there were an increased number of Carnage Tyrants. And, and rightfully so. It was a card whose time had come it needed to be present at this tournament it was in fair numbers you know it wasn't all over the place but certainly more than it's been in the past few months and this was a really nice adaptation and and piece of preparation uh, a really clean answer to that card yeah i mean that that wasn't necessarily something that i thought of when trying to construct this deck it was like oh man i'm super worried about uh mono red and everything how do i fix that like how do i fix the mirror 
And I guess like I just play this bounce spell for hidden stockpile, even though it's probably not good enough. But yeah, commit to memory probably solves more problems than I'm giving it credit for. And is just like more of Raska's contempt sort of. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. It, it you know, has its home against Hazard as well. And I think the other part of the equation is that with some more time into the deck, people were realizing that the mono red matchup was quite fine. And you could kind of bear the cost of having commit over something like consigned. The deck was well suited to have a four mana, an additional four mana removal spell. And that's what people realized. And that's why you saw increased numbers of this card. And it looked great on camera. It kept doing really impressive stuff and, and you know, bailing people out all over the place. It's kind of that super flexible card that the deck was really missing. And in conjunction with Field of Ruin, it functions as a permanent answer. So, you know, that's an important piece of the puzzle not to sleep on. Yeah, that's legit. That might be the reason why Ifra played four fields, but he also played three searches, so I think maybe he was expecting more control mirrors. Right. One of the things that is interesting to me is that people have gone back to Submerge Boneyard. Yeah, I played a couple copies in my list. It, it just seems like worth it. You can, again, bear the cost of a tap land pretty early, decently at this point. You are a little mana hungry. You have double black all over your deck double blue and torrential gear hulk you really can't afford to miss double black you'll generally lose the game if you don't have double black on four and to some extent double blue on three for disallow so i get where the submerged boneyards are are coming from they just think the cost of not having multiple colors of mana is too high yeah so i played boneyard at worlds and my teammates all played evolving wilds because they want to transform their searches faster and at that point when we had essence extraction in our deck i i felt like you just needed the duel that cast disallow and extraction and now i feel like evolving wilds is actually just better huh well that's interesting i mean i mean you see in the context of turn three disallow turn four of rascal's contempt it's certainly worse but you're right that it's unlikely to have completely detrimental impacts like you have to draw just like what three swamps or you know completely the wrong portion of your lands to really get boned by having evolving wilds as opposed to submerged boneyard yeah so, I don't know. I mean, with, with three searches, uh, I probably want the the Evolving Wilds. And especially since he has, like, Glimmer instead of Illumination, it's not even like you can just, like, cycle through cycle your funky cards. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, okay, small optimization going forward. I, I think you sold me on the addition of Evolving Wilds. That seems just like a straight-up upgrade at this point. I think uh, two wilds with three field of ruins is doable. Efro had four field of ruins, which maybe makes it uh, more important to actually have a dual end, and it gives you another thing to actually feed search with. So yeah, maybe it's fine. I don't know. Okay, I trust. I trust Efro. Efro is like, you know, definitely one of the best deck optimizers that is playing right now for sure. Like for every card in his list, like he has a reason for it. Right. Right. And I, I think that list shows. It shows it. There's a lot of very clever choices and and well thought out choices um, in the sideboard in the main deck here. So, yeah, agree completely. Uh, so now what? Now we have like these weirdo aggro decks winning. We have Grixis Energy kind of just crushing people and Mono Red being like slightly behind. Is is this enough to make people not respect Mono Red in the next few weeks? I think we're still a couple weeks away from a Mono Red resurgence. If there's one more thing I want to point out, another theme we had touched on in the weeks previous is kind of the underplayed white removal, how it was very efficient at what it did. And Ari kind of maximized the white removal in his Naya monsters list. As you said, basically just green red monsters, but with the addition of six very powerful exiling white removal spells in Cast Out, Thopter, Arrest, and Ajani Unyielding, I think he probably had a very good list for the top eight of this format had he gotten there this deck might be a player going forward i would keep my eye on this very carefully i think the addition of the white removal is is a big upgrade for the coming weeks of this format yeah i can see that how free is the mana though i'm kind of curious i don't think it's free i you, you know how i hate when people describe splashes as free that absolutely makes my head explode i don't think it's anywhere near free but i i do think it's a cost worth bearing that's how i would describe it he also doesn't have any of the eternalized things. So, I mean, he has Planeswalkers for his late game, I guess, instead. I'm not sure if I like that. Right, he's looking, to, he's looking to scale in a different manner. And it's hard to say. Um, you know, maybe the eternalized guys are going to start taking some targeted hate. You know, we talked about something like John Rolfe's list with a, a ton of ways to deal with graveyards and, and, and um, 
a max package of scavenging grounds. I don't know if we're going to see more graveyard hate going forward, but I think I would like to. I think it's kind of a missing piece of the puzzle for a lot of decks. Even a card that we've talked about before as being very mopey, but Crook of Condemnation, it merits some consideration in a lot of decks, which are otherwise closed off. You know, these kind of like big red decks or the ramp decks, which are sitting a little bit on the fringes of the format, they might benefit a lot from playing something like Crook of Condemnation. I do think it merits consideration, but oh man, is that card mopey. (laughs) It's very mopey. That's the only way to describe it. Having, if you had never played with a Relic of Progenitus, you might find it completely acceptable. Having played with Relic of Progenitus, that is a very tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Crook of Condemnation. Yeah, you're right. I mean, like Death Gorge Scavenger is another one, but it's it's tough to get me to register a forest. Yeah, and I, I actually have been underwhelmed with Death Gorge Scavenger. On its face, it does seem to check the boxes and do what I've, I'm talking about. But whenever I play it, it just doesn't do what I want it to. I find it very underwhelming. It gets shocked constantly. Yeah. Anything getting shocked is like, it's just the worst feeling in the world, especially when your three drop is getting shocked. Like, I don't care that you just gained two life. That's an absolute blowout. I agree. Yeah, not super excited about it, but it is like that and Scavenger Grounds, I think, are the two most free sources of graveyard hate, unless you actually want to count Scarab God. Right, right. Scarab God just doing everything, being the best creature, being the best graveyard hate. Not bad. Yep. Well, uh, we wanted to end the show in kind of a fun way, uh, and we've both been playing like a little bit of Legacy. Yeah, I think it's like... Since I've been on this show, I can honestly say I don't think we've ever talked about Legacy in in any real capacity. Like passing mentions of it for sure, but actual like this is what I like in Legacy. Here's how I view the format right now. Never. It's not a topic we've ever touched on. Right. So take it away, man. Yeah. So I think Legacy continues to have some problems. I'm of the opinion that Deathrite Shaman is not a good card for Legacy's health. That being said, there's a lot of really interesting decks right now, and there's actually a lot of innovation that's... There's just no place for the innovation to be shown. But as I've been sitting in the Moto queues, jamming games of Turbo Depths, which I cannot recommend this deck anymore fervently. It's such a great deck to play. I've enjoyed my game so much. It really is like this beautiful puzzle piece and the mirror might be the most beautiful game of magic ever played. (laughs) It's absolutely awesome. Uh, It's just complete jockeying for position and trying to outthink your opponent and set up angles. I I really love it. But as I sit in the queues jamming games of, of Turbo Depths, I keep coming across really interesting things. I played against an amazing looking Dak Faden Punishing Fire Lee of Old Control deck the other day, which was Super cool. Um, I played against a list, which I I think I can now credit to Zach Elsick, a Grixis Painter Servant list, which had a lot of really cool things going on, including the inclusion of Smuggler's Copter, which was an awesome card in his list. It it was really good in the archetype. Um, Also, he's pushing the Mox Opal mana base a little bit further than I've seen it pushed in the past when it comes to blue Painter decks. Um, So a lot of really cool stuff going on there. As far as the format as a whole the way i see it is that it may be a mistake not to be registering death right shaman decks at this point um they're very powerful they're very consistent they just do everything better than the other decks like death right shaman just makes every deck which includes it much better i've debated trying it out in turbo depths i don't think it quite fits um you know turbo depths is a very focused deck it's trying to do a very specific thing so that's like the one exception but any kind of generalized deck is very much benefiting from the inclusion of death right shaman at this point if you're kind of looking for the spikiest route i would recommend the death right delver decks in some configuration i don't know the optimal one it's either bug or grixis but one of those death right delver decks is, is probably still the best deck in the format but there's a lot of cool stuff to explore and, and a lot of you know good innovative decks lurking just below the surface yeah one of the things i'm actually interested in well i'm certainly interested in like blue decks in general uh and certainly death right shaman but i'm definitely interested in the punishing fire deck deck i've seen a few of those pop up in the the deckless dumps that have been happening from Magic Online, and I think that Planeswalkers are likely the correct way to go over the top of the other blue mid-range piles. Right. And, you yeah, know, Punishing Fire is kind of mopey, it's kind of bad, but, like, having, like, Dak, Jason, Chandra, Liliana, just stuff like that seems probably like the way to go, honestly. Random Planeswalkers are so good in Legacy because the format isn't really 
prepared to deal with them in a lot of contexts. Uh, I played a local legacy tournament with blue red control a couple of weeks ago. I had a one of Chandra in my sideboard and it was a house. Like it just absolutely dominated games. It did everything I wanted it to. So even though it's like lower on power level than something like Jace, to some extent, the format prepares for Jace with the inclusion of Pyroblast. Right. Like Pyroblast is always going to be there as an anti-Jace card. But when you start looking at the non-blue Planeswalkers, uh, Chandra, I've seen like Obnixilis float around before. I, really bizarre Planeswalkers that you wouldn't think would be effective in the legacy format just by virtue of their card type get a lot of value when they're not blue and can dodge Pyroblast. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Chandra, Chandra is a nice one. Like it, it also just like pressures Jace really well, you know? So it's right, right. It's not it's, it's not ideal or anything, but it is certainly very, very good. Yeah, and you know, a lot of these games where you're jockeying for position, your opponent's going to set up for a Pyroblast turn. Like they'll anticipate you to lead with Jace and just kind of like, well, here's my Chandra, and I know you have Pyroblast because I, you know, clicked you the turn before or something like that. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about yeah. it. So a really nice kind of wrinkle. But I do think that the the hallmarks of legacy gameplay are still present. Uh, the games are still really interesting. I, I just think the format would look a little bit better in the absence of death right shaman yeah i mean i don't even know what happens i don't either and, and that's what i like about it people go back to like team or delver i'm not even sure like what sort of control decks people could play like i guess things like grixis like there's still pyromancer probe uh cabal therapy there's baleful strix there's gurmeg angler it's just like the, the decks just get worse which i'm totally down with Right. They're a little bit too good. I think it invalidates a lot of other things, you know, trying to play stuff like Storm. Storm can certainly succeed in the format, but it's it's frustrating when the quote unquote fair decks are just on another complete power axis. They, they've optimized at this point where they're able to utilize Deathrite Shaman to its fullest and not taking it into the mix feels a little unfair. That's my biggest problem with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I will likely be death writing and uh, diabolic edicting. You know, your your 2020 is not, like, not going to last long, I hope. Diabolic Edict has, has been the bane of my existence. Although I will say I, I'm winning a lot with the deck. I, I, I do think it's a very good deck in the Legacy format. But yeah, the card that gets me more than anything else is like, there's a lot of times where it's just like turn two and it's like, well, if they have Diabolic Edict, so be it. Yeah. I, I don't think there's many decks that play a lot of copies of Diabolic Edict. But there's a bunch that play one and it seems like they always have it. So. <laughs> I'm going to have like two main and another in the board. So I don't want to play against you is what, we're, what you're saying. I don't know. The rest of my deck is just kind of all garbage against you, right? Like deck fading, <laughs> just stuff you don't care about. That's true. But he does a really good job of, of digging to the things you care about. And in the Snapcaster deck, you know, having your Diabolic Edict in your graveyard is a, a huge plus when games are going a little bit long. And post-board games with depths tend to go a little bit longer um, when they get some kind of reasonable you know, barriers to you just doing whatever you want. And honestly, it's not like you play that many turn two games. I think that's how people view the deck because it's called Turbo Depths. It moves at a slower pace than its name would imply. Yeah, I mean, you just, you go for the combo if you can, but otherwise you're trying to do it with setup, right? Right, right. There's a lot of like, I, I called it a bizarro Pithy Needle control deck. Yeah. Where the only piece of control you have is Pithy Needle, but for whatever reason, you're able to leverage it very well in this deck. Yeah, I played some games with it and it was just like, oh, God, my head hurt, man. Into the North would have been great. Tough. It would have been great. Yeah, I, I do play two copies of Into the North. I think it's pretty much better than ex Expedition Map. I have a 1-2 split just for like mana efficiency and the fact that you never really want to draw more than one Into the North. So it's hard to play a bunch of copies, but the first one is always way better than the Expedition Map has been my experience. Yeah, no, I totally believe that. I mean, like there's some merit to having a combo piece that can get both stage and depths, but like you have four stages and four hex mages. So most of the time you're searching for depths anyway, I think. Right. And it's not like you don't have crop rotation, Sylvan scrying, uh, a ton of other ways to find these cards in your deck. So yeah. How much flexibility do you actually need versus playing like the actual better card? Exactly, exactly. That's the question. And and for me, I'm leaning towards the better card. And I think that's correct. Yeah. Uh, so I'm down with that. I played that blue red control deck, hated it. Yep. Same. Uh, I do like I do I do like the card counter spell, but mostly hate it. If I'm going this like Grove of the Burnwells punishing fire route, I'm not gonna play counterspell because the mana is just gonna be too bad. Because especially since I want to play with some wastelands too. Your wastelands are tough. They're a tough sell on that deck. That deck is already super, super greedy. 
I'm playing like 22 land, man. I'll do whatever I want. <laughs> you can't stop me. Yeah. Nah, three wasteland, three grove, one badlands. Let's go. Totally fine. No problem with that mana base at all. No, like all the all the Delver decks play 14 blue sources, man. It's fine. Well, they get by. I, you know, again, legacy to some extent will always be an I don't want to say unoptimized, less optimized format than the other formats because it just doesn't see as much play. It's it's you can't suss out as much information without as many reps, but. I find that the mana bases bear the brunt of that more than, than anything else in legacy. There's some mana bases, which will just blow your mind. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's also just the factor of like, I really like this card. I guess that's both the, uh, the, the blessing and curse of legacy, right? You have to balance that doing the really cool stuff with doing the most efficient stuff possible. Yeah, for sure. It's tough. We're talking about our ebb and dragon play mats and stuff, you know, like it calls to us. Yeah, it, it derailed me for years. It, it was just constant, like pernicious deed, punishing fire decks, and oh, you yeah. know whatever other nonsense I could I could whip together in Legacy. I used to brew so much in Legacy, sometimes to success, um, but there are a lot of failures along the way. Yep, been there, been there. What do you think about Legacy being a Pro Tour format at some point this year? That's really interesting. I think it's going to be cool. I don't know how much it is going to affect people who like you know, card availability, like, are you just going to end up playing, like, whatever deck you can get together or whatever? Like, that that sort of thing just sucks. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I would like to see an answer to that at this one Pro Tour. I, I know I'm, like, not going to get it, but to eliminate card availability for a Legacy Pro Tour would be a very good idea. Allow, you know, WotC provided proxies. I, I don't know. I realize what I'm saying is completely impractical and never yeah, going to happen. There is no way in hell they're going to be like, well, you guys can't proxy stuff, but like, it's okay if we do. It's basically like them endorsing, just like making high quality proxies of their stuff instead of buying it. Like, it's just suicide. Right. I know that. I know that as I say it. But you're right that it's unfortunate that I do think card availability will likely have an impact on a pro tour. It's things should never really be that way, but it has to come into play for. You know, some teams will certainly not want to shell out the $3,000 for the optimal legacy deck. And I, I think probably justifiably so. So a little unfortunate, but. When Worlds was in New York in like 2007 or so, legacy was one of the six round uh, one day formats. Mm-hmm. And you saw it in a lot of the deck lists, man. Like people were just like, there's infinite amount of like Belcher and stuff like that because like people just didn't have cards. They literally just played what they could. Right. Right. And I mean, Legacy at that point was probably what, a quarter of the cost as it is now? An eighth of the cost, maybe? Who knows? There's been exponential growth in the value of Legacy cards in the past few years. So Right. It's it's a little bit different because it's like, oh, well, maybe Legacy is more normalized now. So not only like do maybe you have more Legacy cards, but you know more people who might have Legacy cards or whatever. And back then it was just like, what? why the hell would I own a dual land, you know? Right, right. So who knows? But my, my point is, is that last time it was a Pro Tour format, I think that was the last time, it it was not great and people did not really like it. Yeah, I could see there being some problems. I am excited about it. Uh, I hope it goes smoothly. I don't think it's something that should ever be done again, probably. Um, but I'm still hoping from a, a fan perspective or maybe a player perspective, who knows, there's still time before that tournament. But uh, it'll, it'll be nice to see it for a, a brief period on the big stage. Every 10 years. Right. That's about it. That's how long you can uh, you can go before. I mean, there would be outrage if you tried more than that, right? It's just not sustainable any more than that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe something like seven. Who knows? We'll, we'll see. see what the, we'll see what the reaction is, man. Like maybe it's just super sick and people love it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess we were like concerned about the modern pro tour going into this last uh, this last BT, and obviously that was a resounding success. So who knows what we'll see from the legacy pro tour? Yeah, it was just great. So who knows? Uh, we have a question. We do. We have a question from our uh, Patreon group. As always, those guys are guys and gals are ready with a question for us. All right. So here's an interesting one from Evan K. He asks us, "What are the signs you look for that a deck is going to be competitive?" This is a really broad question. I, I think it's tough to kind of hone in on exactly what I'm looking for to say. Oh, this deck is going to have a presence in the format. I guess there's a few a few things I would check off. 
first, does it utilize the best cards in the format better than the other decks in the format? Um, you know, is it the best Scarab God deck? Is it the best Hazaret deck? That probably tells you that these super broken cards are going to be best utilized here, and that's going to let the deck gain a foothold in the format. The other things I would say is, does it attack from an angle that absolutely nobody's prepared for? Um, something like, uh, I always think about Hexproof at GP Atlantic City uh, as an example of that deck, or, you know, even like Reed playing Bogles at Worlds a few years ago where nobody was prepared for a deck like that. That shows me that a deck is going to be competitive in a specific field. Other than that, I, I, I would say maybe looking towards historical archetypes and trying to find analogs. Like, oh, here's another, you know, aggro control-ish deck like Fairies was. And, and you can see uh, comparisons across other formats. That kind of clues me in sometimes that a deck might be competitive. How about you, Jerry? What kind of stuff do you look for? Dude, the biggest thing for me, at least for standard in recent years, has just been like, how well does this deck use its mana? Mm -hmm. And how often does it get to keep using its mana? So when you see the first iterations of Mono Red before Pro Tour Hour Devastation, and they're all like, you know, uh, Village Messengers and Red Cartouches, Cartouche of Zeal, I guess. Yeah, just like this super low curve. And it's like, yeah, it's got like some Hazarets and some Ramonap Ruins and stuff. And it's really tough to actually see how good that deck was because it was full of like such bad cards, but it's like you play the game, like you had first you had two lands to the deck or whatever. And then you like play the games and it's like Hazaret, uh, the deserts, you have Earthshaker, you have so many ways to just like keep using your mana. You basically never run out of gas. And like, unless your cards are just actively terrible, you know, like there are blue, white eternalized decks that are fine, but that that's like a pretty common example where it's just like your cards are kind of bad and like, yeah, you get to spend six mana every turn to eternalize a thing, but ultimately you're not really accomplishing much versus this sort of mono red deck that like never runs out of gas. Like that's insane for standard. It's just completely incredible. And cards like Walking Ballista certainly help with that. Uh, Arch of Araska, even though that's like, you know, kind of a, a mopey one. Yeah, man, anything that just allows you to use your mana and keep playing uh, into the mid to late game. And it could be cards like Champion of Wits. Uh, it could just be, you know, maybe you have things like Rogue Refiners and whatnot or Tireless Tracker. Like, these are the things that generally lead me to believe that a, a deck is viable and competitive. I really like that answer. Um, that's kind of one of my, I would say, first deck building teachers uh, was Zvi. I, I feel like I learned a ton from Zvi's articles and he always emphasized his way of deck building and standard was to look at what you could do with the mana. How do you maximize your mana? Yeah. How do you make your mana as efficient as possible? How do you get value out of your mana base? Basically in the same way you're talking about, you know, he looked for things like man lands where he was just tapping his mana on every single turn. And that's where he first looked to exploit a format. So yeah, a really great answer there. And, and, I, and I think a good point to focus on for sure. Yeah, I think, I think we're on kind of different levels, right? Like, that is basically how I figure out, like, you know, what the top three decks in the format are just in a vacuum. And then you're talking about uh, potentially, like, what's going to be good on, like, week four of a format. And, you know, for whatever reason, it just always comes back to Hexproof. Like, <laughs> there, there's some stupid Hexproof right. deck. <laughs> that has been historically the way it goes. But you're right. You're talking big, huge picture. Just sat down to brew. I'm talking, how do I figure out what deck is going to be competitive week to week? I think probably you did a better job of answering Evan's question a little closer to the spirit of what he was looking for. Uh, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure which one of us was was closer, but like, you know, hopefully that's the uh, the full amount of answer for him. I don't know. Right. Either, either way, we have him covered, so no need to worry about it. Hopefully. Maybe it's something else. Yeah, that would be bad. Uh, so, so props to the the Patreon for providing questions as always. And, uh, you know, all of our patrons, a lot of respect. We really appreciate you guys stepping up to the plate and helping us make the show every week. So thank you again, as always. Absolutely. Much appreciated. Dude, every time I go into the Discord, it's happening. Yeah, no, it, it's a, a really great community. They keep me going through my workday. I'm not always awesome. participating, but I'm always there scrolling through, seeing what everyone's talking about. It's become a really useful way for me to keep my pulse on you know what the player base is thinking about at any given time. So yeah, it, it's sure. helpful to make the cast every week for sure. Dude, we're just live tapped in. It's incredible. Right. Right. It's like we're plugged into the matrix. I'm just going to beam the game podcast discord right into my brain directly. <laughs> All right, man. Good episode. You want you want me to do the sign out? Uh, yeah, you're in charge this week. You kind of, I feel like you set me up last week to look bad when we close because I, I 
I listened and I did hesitate a little bit when we were supposed to do the, the group closing. So I don't oh, even want yeah. to participate this week. I'm out. Yeah. I didn't okay. mean to. I, I, I didn't realize I was I was checking on you, but in retrospect, I absolutely did. So I'm just going to sit this one out this week. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, this is this is the first app I recorded from my my new pad. Kind of, I'm not fully moved in yet, but this is my office. I just got everything set up, and this is great. I like this. I can keep doing this. The new home of the game podcast, Jerry's new office. Yeah, now you got to move. Uh, it's coming. It's coming soon. Spoiler alert. Well, and when it does, that's game. Good luck.